Hey, good people. This is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So, hey, lifestyle and relationships. Lifestyles and relationships. Lifestyle and relationships is my, that's my starting point. Earlier this week, I did a reflection on lifestyle and work, and it was influenced in part by a book that I've been reading um, entitled Pivot and Pursue It. And the main thesis of this book is to, when you're trying to reinvent yourself or go to the next level, that you need to consider three areas of your life, work, personal, and spiritual. But most people center reinvention around work. And it's just, it's an incomplete invention. And that really resonates with me because that's exactly where I'm at in my life. You know, second half of life is no longer, no longer just about work. Um, but work is a part of it. And so in the, in the the episode I did earlier this week, I'm used the idea of a, a stool that's not mine. It came from the book. She says there it was like a stool. You got three legs, work, personal, and spiritual. And um, I actually have created a framework um, for myself in terms of like comprehensive living, comprehensive achievement. And this framework was created in January. It is a framework I use daily um, on a piece of paper. One day I do want to do some courses with you all about like all of the systems I have for managing achievement, you know. So I have a lot of, you know, they say INTJ's mastermind. Well, I have a lot of systems for masterminding that I could share. One day I really would like to share that with you. But one, in January I created this framework for like comprehensive achievement and it has four quadrants. And so I was really like, oh, I want to take those four quadrants and fit them into the stool from this book, but, um, I have to finish reading the book to be able to do that. But so then I was in, I was at my sister's house and she has a stool in her house and her stool has four legs and not three. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I have a four legged stool, but anyway, <laughs> so, um, so I centered that reflection earlier this week about lifestyle and work. It was really important. It's where I'm at in my journey, but there's another thing that's happening for me. Um, that's really significant is around relationships and not just not really relationships with other people, but seeing myself as a relationship person. I'm having a major breakthrough. Um, and I want to say it happened this week, but I think it's been building. It's, it's been crystallizing and it, it, it's, it, 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 it popped into my consciousness um, really this week. Week, I think, and I've been doing some reading about different relationship structures and relationship styles. So I'm here to do that. I'm here to talk about relationships and lifestyle, and uh, it, and it makes me think about being an, an eight, a social a, a social eight, a subtype eight, and then it's making me even question my number in the enneagram. So there's a lot here in this reflection. Um, just like with the lifestyle and work, I had to move about before I really landed in a pocket. I'm going to ask you to give me some space 
just to move about a bit because there's a lot here. I have some really competing um, thinking thoughts happening and I don't know where I'm going to land. But the purpose of this reflection is to talk about lifestyle and relationships and seeing me as a relationship person. Okay. Hey, you know, you guys, if you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so by using personality theory. The two theories that I use the most are the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ8. I also identify as an uh, African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years, and half of that time has been in leadership. Politically, I lean into tenets of critical race feminism which means I have an intellectual sensitivity to social constructs of power, such as race, class, gender, sexuality, to name a few. This project is unedited and it's unscripted. To know more about it or me, go to my website at yournidown.wordpress.com. Boom, five minutes. <laughs> um, you guys, before I um, get into this reflection, I do want to do a little housekeeping. You're probably going to see this reflection um, uploaded as a July 1 2023, I'm actually recording it on June tw- June 30th, 2023. Um, right now, it is 6 o'clock in the evening. I have six hours before the month of June runs out. And it's a little frustrating because I waited to the last hour, the last minute to do these. I have two episodes remaining for the season. Isn't that something? I always like when I drop down at doing 25 episodes a season, I'm like, am I going to be able to do it? Because I went from 100 episodes a season to 50 episodes a season. And then this year I experimented with 25 episodes a season and I, I really like it. It frees me up to do some other things in my life. And so, um, so I really like it. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to, to do that. And then I get to the end and I'm now rushing to finish these recordings. And I think it's the, I think dropping down to 25 episodes, going from a hundred to 50 down to 25 really has me more conscious about what I'm using this project to do. I don't have it perfected. I feel like there's a lot of contradiction in my, in this project and I can't stand it. But I also know that this project is for me to work things out a lot of times I do, I, I end these reflections with a great deal of certainty, but I don't think that that's what this project is about, locking me into certainty. It's really for me to muse, to wonder, to consider, to analyze my own sense of self. And as a result, it comes across sometimes as contradictory and I just, I don't like it. But anyway, going down to 25 episodes slows, just slows me down before I hit the record button. Like what am I? And I just and I have I just find myself more confused. Whereas when I used to just hit the, like we got a hundred episodes or even fifty, I'm just like I'm gonna hit the record button just to let you know what I'm thinking today. It's not like that for twenty five. It's not like that for a twenty five episode season. I really really think about what I'm what is worth an episode, and then I don't do it because nothing is really worth an episode. So anyway, I say all of that <laughs> to say that I have two episodes left for this season. Even though they're going to probably show up as July, I am really, really recording them in June. All right. I am on target. I'm just, this, this platform just flips over into the next day, like early, like at about seven, six or seven. And so we'll see. 
So you're going to see this in July. I'm recording it in June. All right. <laughs> if you're new, you're like, why did this lady just spend five minutes talking about nonsense? It's context. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like everything, the T-E is an I-N-T-J. The T-E is when I'm thinking, I'm thinking within context. And I have to share that context with with others when I am sharing my thoughts. Okay? All right. All right, you guys. So let's talk about relationships. Um, uh, and let's talk about, I'm not going to talk about, yeah, we're going to talk about relationships. But we're going to do that through the lens of your NIDOM, me as a person and not necessarily as a character. So your NI Dom is could represent all NI Doms, INTJs and INFJs. But I have named myself I've given myself a pseudonym, your NI Dom. So we're gonna talk about me. Um as it relates to relationships and this is just something I don't do well. In terms of talking about relationships. Because I don't typically value relationships as much as I value I value introspection a lot. So I value, let me put it this way. I value my relationship with myself. And that's going to come up in this reflection today. I also value work. <laughs> and then you guys hear that. You hear that a lot. And then when you hear me talking about relationships, those are usually my messier reflections. They are usually choppy. I get loud and excited. And I, I've talked about this many times. My thoughts are incomplete. They're racy. Because I'm not settled there. I'm not settled. And usually if I'm talking about a relationship issue, it's usually because of some kind of conflict that I need to analyze. Something I don't understand or I got a problem solve it. But because it's relational, it's not my strong suit. So those relate, those reflections I just don't like. And I have a, um, I have a, I think this person is a pretty faithful listener. Because I think it's a he, he contacts me, not a lot. But I've gotten several contacts, uh, messages from him letting me know that he's, he like responds to messages, some of my episodes. And, um, he told me once a while ago that he, I called them drama driven, like they just feel like a lot of drama. And he's like, I don't think those are about drama. They don't feel like drama. <laughs> and they feel like, they feel so messy. So emotional. I hate those episodes. But I give them to you because they are a natural part of me. Ugh, I hate to say that. But they are, right? Because I'm not always stoic. I would prefer to be always stoic and calm and in control. That's my happy. <laughs> it's also my detriment. And what I do, I hope to talk about that at some point. Like my desire to be in control and calm and leveled can sometimes work against the fact that I am fierce, intense, lustful, passionate. But I don't allow that part of me to come out. You guys, I just feel like I'm Gary stumbling into something I have no business stumbling into. 
And I wish I was talking about sex, but maybe I am. And I don't know because I just don't. Ugh, this is going to be, this is going to be such a deeply messy and deeply personal reflection. I don't really want to, I don't really want to get this personal, but I really want to be authentic. Right. So the, uh, the desire to be authentic, because this is data for me, because I go back and I listen to these reflections and I pay attention to the patterns of what I say over time. We've got three years of this now. There's a lot. There are a lot of patterns. There's a lot of data. So I don't want to come into this project presenting and performing because it's going to mess up my data. So I'd like to be as honest as possible, as authentic as possible. I just don't like talking about sex. <laughs> I don't like talking about sex. And I don't like talking about relationships as much publicly. I just don't know. So anyway, I need to think about that. So anyway, I don't even know where I left off. But um, but I, it was just a little bubble that popped up when I said I like to be stoic and in control. I was like, yeah, but you have another part of you that's very lustful and passionate and intense. How is that working out? And you guys, when I started th this recording today, I, it took me four attempts because this is how tough this topic is for me. I don't know how it's going to come across from you, for you, but I want to let you know this is a very, very difficult discussion for me. So I attempted four times. I started four times or three times. Well, well, four times, including this one. And then I was like, okay, I got to start over. That doesn't make sense. So I don't really know what I've said or I've not said. So if there's some repetition happening, redundancy be you know just let I want to let you know because I don't know if I set this in take one take two take three because this is take four okay so um okay so anyway this idea of of, of control and lust that feels really important I'd really like to fall into a rabbit all year god that feels that feels interesting like, I want to explore that, but that's not what I hit the record button for. And I, I need to stay the course. So I'm going to try. Hopefully I'll come back and process that later. All right. But that is a thing that feels, like I said, it feels good. I want to talk about it, but I'm not. Okay. Um, I don't really know where I was going with that before I fell into that mini rabbit hole, like that mini bubble. Like was, so I don't know where I was at. So let me just pick up and I'll, I'm sure I'll, I'll get it together. Uh, but going back to this idea of lifestyle and uh, relationship, um, this week, after I did the episode, nope, this week, I did the episode on lifestyle and work. I think it was about a Tuesday. Today is Friday, by the way. I think it was a Tuesday. It was a Monday or a Tuesday. And Monday and Tuesday, I was reading about what's called solo polyamory. And I'm going to solo poly. I, okay. So I was reading about solo polyamory. You're going to hear me referencing it as solo poly. I have another, I have a few other words for it. Solo poly, single poly. There's something called self-partnered and there's something about being singled. All are all four of those Really, it's five. Let me let me give that to you again. So you have polyamory. Okay, I'm going to give you six. You have monogamy, polyamory, solo polyamory, single polyamory, or being single. So those are five concepts that you're going to hear me 
of referencing if I can get into this, for, if I can really do what I said I came here to do and not fall into a thousand rabbit holes, right? Um, I did an episode about a year and a half ago on where I talk about my interest in polyamory. I don't know what I named it. If I name that episode polyamory, I'm like, oh, you were a badass because that just puts the relationship me out front in this public way. And I'm like, oh, did I really name an episode polyamory? Okay, that's pretty bold of me. I may have, though. And it was it was an interesting episode because I remember I was on a weekend like vacation with my friend and her family, her husband and her husband's daughter. And then I did a recording on polyamory. Like, what was I thinking? That was just a really weird, really weird thing to do because we were, I'm like, watch this out. Now watch, wait for it, wait for it. We were in a hotel. <laughs> but I, it was a suite. So I had, I had the, I had the, um, like the living area and then she and her family, they, they had the bedroom area. So it was a suite, you know. So there was, the door was shut. Nothing inappropriate happened. It's not that kind of party. Y'all. I'm sorry to disappoint you. It is not that part. This is a pure platonic friend. Okay. But I was like, I remember doing this episode on, cause I had been reading about polyamory. Now I actually read about polyamory a lot. Not a lot. That's not true. I've read about polyamory for almost 30 years. So let's just say 25 years I've been reading about polyamory. I know a lot about it, y'all. I know a lot, but I know a lot about it academically and not experientially. Okay. So in the last few years, I've met, I finally, after years of studying, I finally met a few people who identify as poly or they would say non-monogamous, you know, and when they find out how much I actually know about polyamory, they're like, yo, what is that about? Why are you studying that? Like, you've never done it? Like, no. They're like, what is, what are you studying it for? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, I don't know, but it's something about it that's deeply interesting to me. It's interesting. But after 25 years of just reading about it, what really is the interest, right? Because when you're interested in stuff, something, you eventually try it, right? Not me. <laughs> Not me. I've just read it, read about it. Okay. So in, and I don't know what, I don't know what like inspires me to go, oh, go read, go look at this. Cause usually what'll happen is a thought will pop. I'm like, oh, let's see, let's Google this. And then I'll do, I'll in doing some reading or maybe I'm a part of a few Facebook groups where, which I don't, and I'm very verbal. I mean, I'm, I'm very communicative, but in these poly groups, I'm not. Cause what am I going to say? But I love reading the, I love reading what they have to say. And every once in a while, I'll throw my two cents into the conversation. Like, who the hell do I think I am? How do I weigh in on someone's situation 
when I've only done monogamy in my life. Like that's the only kind of relationship that I've had, a monogamous relationship. Now I've dated, but I've dated in a, in what would be considered a monogamous fashion. And I want to talk about that. I'd like to share that if I can ever get to the heart of this discussion. So anyway, um, so maybe something came up in one of these Facebook groups that made me curious. Maybe I heard the word solo poly and I was like, and somebody had introduced me to the word solo poly a while ago. So solo polyamory is a branch of polyamory. Okay. And maybe, maybe this week I was like, oh, go read about it. Cause I've really never read about solo polyamory. That's a newer concept for me. All right. To make a, okay. So that's what happened. So I ended up listening to a podcast episode where the two women, um, one identified as solo poly and the other one identified as single poly. And they um, were just talking about how those concepts were similar and how they were different. And I found that so interesting. I was like, oh, Oh my God, solo poly and single poly. And I was like identifying with it. I was like, oh my God, that sounds like me. And in truthfulness, I was relating more to the lady who was talking about solo poly. Now, out of all the readings I've done about polyamory, I never really have identified with it. I'm intrigued, but I'm not, I don't identify well, as I was listening to this lady talk about being solo poly, I was like, oh my God, that's me. Okay. So that was in, that's intriguing to me and compelling. So I went to do some more digging. So they referenced a podcast. Holy smoke. Excuse me. Forget it. Before I get to the podcast, let me tell you what else. One thing I did. So after I listened to the podcast, this uh, podcast, or episode of these two women um, comparing and contrasting what it's like to be solo versus single poly. I went to um, online to, just to do some reading, and I found two articles, and I tweeted them out already. They're already tweeted out, y'all. I'm proud of this practice. <laughs> y'all don't give me any love, but those articles are they're out there, okay? And I could tell that people looked at them. Um, and so... I was reading, uh, the first article that I tweeted was about what is solo poly. And I was like, oh, that's, 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 mm-hmm. I'm identifying more. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Yeah, that, 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 right? And then I read another one that said single, self-partnered or solely. I tweeted that one out too. Like, let's get, let's dig deep into this. If you're going to be single, when you're single, what does that look like? When you're self-partnered, what does that look like? And when you're solo polyamorous, what does that look like? And man, so I want to read this article to you. That's kind of what I want to do. I want to read this article and kind of narr- not narrate it. What's the word? I want to edit- editorialize it. Ah, did I make up a word or is that a word? I want to editorialize it. I want to respond to it while I'm reading it. 
And then I'd like to bring that back to, after I read this article and comment on it, I want to, I want to come back and I want to connect it to me as a social eight in the Enneagram system. And then I want to connect it to this lifestyle thing I'm trying to embrace for myself and in the second half of life. Don't get me started on the first half of life, the second half of life, because then I really will never get to this article. You know what I mean? So if you've been following me, you know that I talk about the first half of life, second half of life. But when you get to the second half of life, that's when you're really more authentic and you're more fulfilled and you're just really, you're, you're more the person you were meant to be. The first half of life, you're kind of trying on different models. You're being what the world told you you should be. But when you get to the second half of life, that's when you are really cruising. Cruising altitude being who you were meant to be. Okay. So that's what I'd like to do in the remaining 30 or so minutes. Okay. Cross your fingers and wish me luck. So let's let's just start by reading this article. Single, self-partner, the solo Solo polyamorous, and I am going to be talking about me. And uh, let's see how uncomfortable this gets. Hold on. Okay, so I'm going to go between telling you what I'm reading and then telling you. Oh, did I say? Ed- okay, so okay, I said editorialize it. Another word I could use is giving a commentary. All right, so I'm going to go between telling you what I'm reading versus when I'm giving, you know, commenting. Okay. All right, so I'm reading now. My long-distance partner, my only declared partnership right now, and I met for a beautiful vacation. We both aren't talking, um, we both aren't talk every single day, people. So, oh my God, this is an awkward sentence. I'm going to start over, you guys. My long-distance partner, in parentheses, this author writes, my only declared partnership right now, and I met for a beautiful vacation. We both aren't talk every single day people. So one of the things I enjoy the most are the few times we can meet in real life and chat about things. He asked me the following, Amanda, I hope you, I know you have used the term self-partnered and solo polyamorous to describe your relationship status. So both of those terms describe you. Can you explain how their meanings are different and how is being self-partnered different than being single? I'm still reading. It was an excellent question, and I speculated that maybe the rest of um, the this community, this reading community, might appreciate some clarification, too. And for the record, being self-partnered does not mean I'm a modern narcissist. I don't disdain everyone who loves me, and I only torture people if they consent to being tortured. So there's a little sexual undertone there. That was me making a comment. Let me go back to reading. Single, self-partnered, and solo polyamorous are terms that seem similar, but in reality, these terms have distinct differences. A person can be single, a person can be self-partnered, a person can be self-partnered and solo polyamorous, and a person can be self-partnered and essentially single. That's a lot of that. That's a lot, y'all. I'm going to read that again because that, that is the heart of this, um, this concept. I'm going to read that section again. Single, self-partnered, and solo polyamorous are terms that seem similar, but in reality, these three terms have distinct differences. A person can be single. A person can be self-partnered. A person can be self-partnered and solo polyamorous. And a person can be self-partnered and essentially single. 
However, and I'm still reading. However, for a person to identify as self-partnered, there are marked differences in personal philosophy and viewpoints. A person can declare they are self-partnered for a year while they discover, find, reinvent themselves. But deep down, they hope to transition from the single life. Some individuals like myself, I'm reading, you guys, that's not me. This is the author. Some individuals like myself enjoy a self-partnership and don't foresee abandoning that lifestyle anytime soon. So I just want to make some comments about that. Like, um, this idea of being in relationship with yourself really resonates with me. And, um, and I like the idea that you can still be in relationship with yourself and be in relationships and others. So that sentence that says, a person can be self-partnered and essentially single. It that could look like me right now. It could. So I could say I could identify as being I'm self-partnered and single. That's not the way I want to. I don't think I want to choose that as an identity. I think I truly want to choose. I think I want to choose solo poly as my identity as I'm processing this. But I could say I'm self-partnered and single because I have really, really been working on restoring myself. You guys know, like I say this often, I was in this relationship where I fell apart, right? And I'm not going to put that falling apart on my ex. Like I think there were things that my ex did that were destabilizing, but that's on me, right? There was so much learning I had to do about myself, about uh, the world, about being in a relationship with another person that I just didn't have this knowledge. I really wish that I would have learned had this article years ago. Years ago, years ago. Okay. But anyway, um, so I want to just say that idea of being in a relationship with yourself. Um, so for me, and I I, I think I mentioned this to you all. I have, to, like I said, I have this. I think I don't know if I if this was take one or take two, but I have this comp this temp one of these templates, one of these systems that I have for robust living for me to be able to mastermind the life that I want. There are these four quadrants, right? I don't ever, ever, ever see me not using these four quadrants. Now the quadrants might mature. Right. They might. They might be refined, but I never, ever see me living a life that doesn't have a, those four domains for me. Now, I might choose to be in a relationship. I, I don't know if I'll be in another monogamous relationship. I don't know that right now. And this is a really bold statement for me to say, because I've lived, I'm 52 years old. I've lived my life in a, under a monogamous paradigm. I do not know <laughs> if that's what I would do. But if I chose to be in another monogamous relationship, I am not going to derail from those four quadrants of my life. So if I'm in another monogamous relationship, I'm still going to have a relationship what I call a structural relationship with myself. 
Those structural parts of me will never fall apart again. And when I say structural, I mean the, the food, clothing, shelter part. Food, clothing, and shelter. The ability to have food, clothing, and shelter. And so, in, you know, income, whether it's, whether it's from a, a employment or whether it's from entrepreneurship, um, my credit school score, my, my health. I am never, ever, 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 ever again going to sacrifice those things. Now, some of you listening to me may say, well, why did you sacrifice that in the first place? Very, very good question. And it's a very fair question. I think a lot of that sacrifice, a lot of it came from, comes from the trauma that I experienced and not just like hardcore trauma. And it's not like, it's just, um, being told, being raised to believe that other people were more important than me. Satisfying other people is more important than taking care of yourself. It's kind of the message that I heard. Some of that messaging happens because I'm a woman. And as women, we are typically primed to take care of other people. And then I'm sure that race factors in as a black woman and being mammy. You know, that's one of the stereotypes for black women. And we were really employed. Like we were really positioned to reproduce for the slave trade. I've been reading about the uh, slave farms, slave factories. I can't remember the name of it. It was just where they had black women and they were, they were, it was like farming for slaves, y'all. That was a practice. And then you have, you had nurse, uh, wet nurses. Black women were used to, because what the, the white women didn't want to nurse their children. So the black women were used to do that, which is really interesting. If you don't like, it's really interesting that anyway. And then you think about like being a nanny, a mammy in someone's house. It, so, and so you guys have to listen to the episode that I talk about the cell where I describe the social world and part of the social world is the historical context. Like it lingers and um, other people talk about archetypes. One of the things that you, when you hear people talking about archetypes, they do not talk about um, the archetype that allowed for slavery across cultures, across geographies, Across time, right? Anyway, that's a rabbit hole. We were not going to get into that. But so the lingering, the, the lingering effect of that impacts the stereotypes of the black woman, right? So I'm just saying there are a number of reasons beyond trauma that I could have been primed to neglect the self. And it was never a full neglecting. That's the other piece I would love to spend some time thinking. But let me put it this way. I didn't fully neglect the self until I got into a relationship. And and in all fairness, it wasn't just my ex of 10 years. Prior to that 10-year relationship, I had dated someone for a year pretty intensely. And I neglected myself then. 
And I remember both individuals commenting, like, you're not the same. You're not the same person that you were when I met you. And that was, I don't know how I took that feedback. Because a part of me wanted to say I didn't like the feedback. Like I thought, part of me felt, I remember feeling defensive about that feedback. And another part of me remembers feeling like, yeah, you're right. I'm not. So I don't really know how I fully processed it. But in both of those situations, that was the feedback. In their own way, that's what they said. And I remember at the end of the, that one year, it was in a, it was just a really interesting situationship, if you will. It was very intense. And I remember at the end of that, I went shopping and for myself. And it was just big to do. I remember, I remember buying some smell goods. I remember buying some like jeans. It was such a big deal that I was taking care of myself. And I was like, whoa. You haven't done this in a year. Now you take that and you multiply that by 10 years. So I think about that sometimes. And I think about, I don't, the energy that it takes for me to be that connected to another person. I don't have the bandwidth for that. And I don't have the consciousness that I don't have the bandwidth for that. Because if I, if I were conscious about it, I'd be like, nope, nope, can't do that. Nope, nope, mm-mm. But I found myself moving into those spaces and not aware that I have one pot of energy and now the energy is going towards the relationship and it's not, I, it's not, it's not going towards me and self-care. But I had another 10-year relationship that was drastically different from the second 10-year relationship. And I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know what I would say. Did I lose myself in that relationship? I don't know. I was in college. So, right? I was in college and I didn't have anything. (laughs) I was a kid. I mean, I was from age 17 to 27. So... Everything, I think I had an external, there it is. I had an external world that put demands on me because I'm still a TE user. And as an INTJ, I was pursuing something very concrete. And I think that helped balance things off. Now, in the second, so here's, in the second relationship, including that other one-year relationship, Okay, let's talk about that one-year intense situationship because that's when I was at the height of my business. And in that relationship, that was, an, was kind of like a tension point because I was accused of not of giving my attention to the business more than that, that person. That's why we never really, that's one of the reasons why we never really went far because I was like, I'm not, no. So there's that external demand. Now, that second person I met that second person. I was in business and then I started making some decisions that I needed to do some self. I needed, I made a business decision to dissolve the business. I made a decision to dissolve the business just for some, for multiple reasons, because I just didn't think that that was a good, it wasn't, I think there was more I was supposed to do with that business. 
And that, that, that iteration wasn't helping me to get to the real vision of the business. So I closed that iteration down with the, with the, in full intention on doing a different iteration of that vision, if you will. I don't want to get into, I don't want to really get into that now because I want to, because it'll be easy for me to stop talking about relationship and start talking about business. Right. So I, so just, yeah, anyway. So, um, so because I made that decision, I didn't have that external pressure. Now I, I ended up, so this is, this is, this is, this is where the contradiction comes in because there were some parts of me that didn't fall apart. I went, I think anything that related to my, um, okay, anything that related to me performing or producing, I don't know. I don't know. Because I still did some really big things in that 10 year relationship. I wrote a book. I expanded my curriculum that I wrote. I relocated to a different state for a job, which was, which was, which, which was a high level position. Um, I went and got a PhD. <laughs> I just went. I just went and got it. Like that was just all I did was just go get a PhD. No, that was a four-year experience. It was very intense. And then I did some other things uh, after that. You know. So all of that, I did do those things. I did do those things. And I don't know why I don't, I don't count that as energy. You see what I'm saying? Like when I started, when I talk about that, when I talk about that 10 year relationship and talk about falling apart, it's all about the energy for the relationship, but the energy needed to write a book to do it. I mean, that's energy, but it doesn't feel depleting for me. That I didn't fall apart because I was doing those big things. I fall apart in the relational energy. I don't know what that means, you guys. I don't know what it means yet. But talking about it is going to be helpful so that when I go back and I listen to it and I process it, it'll be good. So I don't know, but there's different energy that that somebody else would be like, those big things, that's big. That was big, but it wasn't depleting for me. It was fulfilling. It was generative energy. Not reductive energy. It was generative. Generative. It, it reproduced energy for me. And the relationship energy just didn't. It was tough. And I think that energy took the energy away from me. I don't know. I'm going to process this because, like I said, this is the first time me hear my hear me say that. But anyway, so I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that again, ever, 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 ever. <laughs> I'm never going to lose energy for a relationship. That's the best way of saying it. 
I'm never going to lose energy for a relationship. Now, I feel like there's something more here that I'm not tapping into. I could, it feels like there's something, there's a door right now in this conversation right now. I feel like there's a discovery. I'm talking about something on another side of a door that is there, but I, I don't know what it is, but I know it's there. I know something is there. I just can't access it. So anyway, anyway, I, um, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I feel like it is something. Um, I don't know, but it feels really important to say that it feels like something about the relationship. Like what allows me to say, I'll do another relationship, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to not take care of me. Well, cause, um, because what I don't want to do is, I, okay, I think what I'm struggling in this conversation right now is I'm struggling with this concept of monogamy. I'm like, why are you vilifying monogamy? Monogamy is not what made you, what is not the enemy of your energy? Or is it? Is monogamy an energetic pull for, does it pull me? Does it? That's the question. Because there's something in me that feels like, yes, it does. It takes energy for me. Well, think about it. So poly means multiple relationships. Now, I've joked about this in the past when I said, when people are like, well, why have you not done polyamory? You've studied it. Why haven't you done it? I'm like, well, shoot. I always joke and say, I don't want to have sex with one person. Why well, don't I have sex with some, several people? You know what I mean? Like, I've, that's been my running joke, right? And I don't talk about sex. Remember, I said I don't really want to talk about sex, but I do want to say I probably fall under the um, umbrella of being more asexual than anything else. But I'm not purely asexual. And that's purely no one's business. So I'm not going to sit here. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this. But I, And then I was born and raised Catholic, so I get really uncomfortable like talking about sex. Like, oh, my gosh. And the other day I was like, <laughs> I went to look up an article. Like, is sex a normal part of being a healthy human? Of course it is. Of course it is. But why I don't have that construction for myself, I don't know. I do not know why the idea of sex scares me. And I I need to look that up. Is there a phobia? Can you have a sex phobia? Hold on a second. Oh, my God. Bear with me. It's 47 minutes in, and I haven't finished reading that article because I, my commentary has kind of taken me off into some discoveries. But I did push the pause button, and there is a word for it, to fear sex. It's called genophobia. Genophobia is an intense fear of physical acts involving sexual intimacy. In other words, it's a fear of sex. That's exactly what it says. You may only feel this way about sexual intercourse or you may experience genophobia around any other physical expression of sex. And as I was reading that, like I said it to you guys just a second. I was like, I think I fear sex. 
And I was like, oh, I wonder if that's a word. So I looked it up. So as I was reading the definition, I'm like, I don't know if I fear that. And then the word shame came up. I have a shame of sex. So I need to go see a sex therapist, probably. <laughs> God, this is so freaking personal. Let me just get off that subject. And like any, I can go, I listen to other podcasts and they talk about sex. They don't freak out like I am right now. Like, oh my God, I don't want to talk about it. Why are you saying that? You shouldn't say that. I don't know what that is. But anyway, we're going to get off that subject. We wanted to know, was I going to talk about sex? And there it is. Now let's move away <laughs> from that topic. But that's been the running joke for me. Like, well, you're not, you're not going to, you're not, you're not having sex with one person. You're going to have sex with multiple people. And that's how I associated polyamory. But it's, but solo polyamory isn't, it's not about, it doesn't have to be about having multiple sex partners. It doesn't have to be about having multiple sex partners. And that excites me more than I can explain that to you. So anyway, um, I do want to spend some time thinking about the tax. There's a, there's an energy tax on me when I'm in a relationship. And again, someone listening to me could go, well, if you have an energy tax of being in a, a, a relationship with one person, what the hell do you think you're going to do being in re multiple relationships? What is that tax going to be like? But, but here's, the, it's, I'm working it out, y'all. This is good. I'm, something just hit me right when I said it. Listen, this is just what popped in my head when I said multiple relationships and attacks. The tax isn't necessarily the relationship. The tax is being disconnected from myself in the relationship. That feels really important. So, one of the things that I'm learning about the solo poly, and I've never read this and I've studied polyamory, like I said, I've studied it, but this studying polo, polo, poly, polo, polo, solo poly is like within weeks, very new for me, I think. At least I didn't have a consciousness I was reading about it. But in solo poly, you, your primary partnership is with yourself. So you have multiple relationships, and one of those relationships is with the self. We're not talking about self-sex. We're talking about partnership. And I go back to my four quadrants. These are the four things that I'm doing to have the robustness that I, of the life that I want and because those four quadrants, you know, I had to talk to, I've been saying this, like when I've been dealing with people, like I'm dealing with something with my insurance company, or I don't have a, a, a partner that's going to pick up the slack. I, it's me. I don't have a partner. I don't have a parent. It's me at 52 years old. If it's going to happen, I'm going to do it. So we're not. Because a lot of play, our society right now is, it's, it's assumed that people are in like these two family income situations. That's not me. It, I am that. And I think that that's part of this conflict that I'm just starting to 
face. And I, one of the things I want to talk to you all about, but I, I don't want to do it in this reflection. But you guys, one of the things that have come up in this project for me, one of that's come up on repeat is entrepreneurship employment. We, I should go and count the number of episodes where I've like really wrestled with that. And like, okay, it's just so many times. And I think part of it is that it's me trying to uh, compensate for the fact that I am doing this thing on my own and wanting to diversify different ways of survival. Um, I really think that that's what it is. Cause I was, I was like thinking about it today. Cause something happened, something happened yesterday. I have, I'm going to share this with you. Nothing bad, but it was something that made me realize a recent declaration that I made. Something happened yesterday and almost poked that declaration and, and, and destroyed it. And I'm, I'm not a person that makes declarations and don't live by them. So if I make a declaration and then something comes along and almost annihilates that de- de- declaration or invalidate it, I have to go, well, what was that about? And so that I'll talk about that hopefully in the next episode. But so that I'm, I'm wrestling with that. And I think part of it is the fact that it is just me. And I'm not trying to live like a, I'm just going to say Millie Mouse. I'm not low-key living. You know, I'm an eight, so I'm still trying to live big, solo big, you know what I mean? And I don't know. So anyway, um, I don't know. I don't even know why. Let me get back to the article. Um, but I, so I just think that there's a relationship tax on that comes, that has happened on me in the past because there was no model or no map or framework for me to still have a relationship with myself. I didn't know how to do that. Now, as long as I was going to have a relationship with mission and business and learning and like doing that thing in the world, that didn't get compromised. So the book, the curriculum, the, the you know, business, all of that maintained itself. But the relationship with myself got compromised because I didn't know how to hold on to me while trying to be in a relationship intensely with someone else. Now, there's some, there's some pieces to this that there's some pieces that I'm not sharing that would probably make a difference in this story. I just, I really can't do that now. It would just take a lot of time. And uh, we just, we won't do it today. We might do it another day, but we won't do it today. But I wonder, you know, like I said, I don't really want to vilify my ex. Because I think, because that happened twice. I was in two back-to-back situations where it was a tax on me. I, I, I felt compromised. My energy field felt compromised. But, and interestingly, in both of those situations, and I this is what makes me think solo poly is me. In both of those situations, I didn't try to run and be in a relationship with them. I was not trying to run into any kind of exclusivity. I was very comfortable with hanging out, having a good time. And in both of those situations, the individuals wanted to push for something more exclusive, 
more intense, more comprehensive, right? It was just consuming. And I didn't know enough about myself or this idea of relationship to set a boundary to go, wait a minute, no, no, I didn't, I didn't know. And because I think part of this is the INTJ me, because relationships aren't my thing anyway, and I, and, and being on this journey for self-actualizing and growing, that when those individuals started pulling on me, I was like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is just about growing. Maybe this is about maturing. I don't know, y'all. I really don't know. This is like a whole new world for me. Like, I got a process. I'm going to be honest with you. The way I feel right now is how I felt when I stumbled into the Myers-Briggs, particularly when I fell into learning about cognitive functions and that introverted intuition, the NI dominus. And I, I, you want to talk about a rabbit hole? I spent about a three years, three to four years being in a rabbit hole for Myers-Briggs. Now I've also been in a rabbit hole around quantum physics, <laughs> right? I've done rabbit holes before when I, I mean, seriously, like, like focusing on something for a long time and studying it and meditating on it and processing it. I think that's what my curriculum was. I would think that was probably, probably my first real, real rabbit hole like that. When I'm talking about like a structural, like, um, lifestyle rabbit hole, if you will. So anyway, um, I'm going to start bringing closure because I feel like I've said the essence of what I said. I didn't finish reading the article, but I think the essence of the so I've, I've gotten to the so what for me. Um, so, I, but I want to make sure I give you some things to chew process, but I think I've gotten to the so what for me. I think the so what for me is to think about the relationship tax that I experience. Um, because what I believe, what I'm thinking, and this is something I've reserved the right to meditate on and, and continue to think and possibly change my thinking. I'm just at the front end of this discovery, just at the start of it, learning about myself, the relational me. Um, so knowing that there's a relationship tax that I experience. Because it takes me away from being in a relationship with myself. So that's one thing. Maybe it's two, right? The relationship tax. But that relationship tax is based on being disconnected from the self. So that's one A and one B. I think the other piece of it is not knowing what it, not even knowing what it means to be in a relationship with itself. Not ever Knowing what it's like to be in relationship with the self, not having a model for that, not knowing that it's okay. That's, that's, so had I known about having a relationship with the self, those two individuals would have never gotten me off course. Because it's not, you know, you think about people who have like, um, so in the Enneagram, you talk about the different subtypes, self-preservation is a subtype, sexual I think the sexual subtype for me is third. That sexual subtype is like one-on-one consuming and intense, and like intense consuming. Well, I'm like that conceptually. I have sexual energy towards, not sex 
erotic sex, but like one-on-one. Like I've, uh, I've tried to explain this several times, but just in case you're new, I'm not talking about having sex with concepts. I'm talking about like an intense energy to concepts and to structures and to systems. That's where you see the sexual me, the sexual subtype me in the Enneagram system come forth. But the top two for me, social self-preservation. And that's why when my heart coach said she thought I was self she thought I was self-preservation first, I was like, I don't think so. I'm just now learning how to take care of me. I'm really just learning how to take care of myself. And when I say I'm just learning that, I BS you not. In the last four years, maybe five. That first year after the relationship, it was just like, oh, I don't know, you know. It was like, I got to survive. What the hell has just happened? You know. But learning that. So what I don't want to do, and I think this is kind of where I'm I'm spinning right now. What I don't want to do is say, oh, I'm solo poly because solo poly makes room for me to be in relationship with self. When I read the article, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Because like I said already, in solo poly, solo polyamory is having multiple relationships. But centering the self as the primary relationship. Polyamory isn't like that. Like most polyamory people, most you have like these primary partners, secondary partners, Meta partners, oh my gosh, right? <laughs> Don't y'all do a lot. Um, but it's, and it's really, you know what it centers? It centers romance. That's what it does. And solo polyamory is not centering romance. Not at all, because... In the article, or I don't know if this in this article that I'm going to finish reading to you, but in one of the con- one of the pieces of content I was reading, it talked about, um, you know, and this is something that really resonates with me: having relationships with friends and valuing those friendships just as much as you value your romantic partners, because in a monogamous-minded culture, romantic partnerships are priority is it's higher up on this hierarchy and then friendships take are secondary to that and I've always had a problem with that because I'm a person like well if you're my friends and I, I love you and you love and we offer each other whatever we offer each other why does that get kicked to the curb when you get into a romantic relationship that's been one of a sore spot with me and some of my friends that has been a sore spot. I never understood that. And those friends felt like I was being unreasonable. And then when I did get into uh, my 10-year my relationship, and my one of my friends was like, well, it looks like you're centering. Well, you guys told me this is the way it was supposed to be done. I don't need to do that at all. There's a, there's a song I love. I love this song. Um... I don't know if Marin Morris sings it or Kelsey Ballerina, Ballerini or whatever, Kelsey something. 
I miss me more. I think it's Kelsey. Miss me more, I think. And she says um, she lost all her friends in her relationship. She said, I never would have thought I would have lost all my friends. She said, I look around. I can't even find my friends now. That's, 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 yeah. No. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Never again. Mm Mm-mm. Never, never again. So, but can a monogamous relationship be healthy? Like, excuse me, let me say it differently. Can a monogamous relationship still allow for you to have healthy relationships with your friends? Because I look at my my mom. She has that with her friends. I think my mother's Polly, though. Because I've been telling my mom as I've been reading about this, you know, well, she's probably not. She, my mother's probably solo Polly, too, right? <laughs> and I laugh because she's like, Every I'm like, as I'm reading this, I call her up and like, Mom, let me tell you, there's something else I learned. And she's like, yeah, I get with that. But the connotation to, a lot of times when people talk about polyamory, it also is what's called relationship anarchy. And it uh, that's another word I could throw out, right? And um, a lot of anarchists um are and they are they resist heteronormativity like they are about um heter het, like they don't center heterosexual paradigms and I understand that and I never really had the right framing for that and I've read recently it's about more of a mono it's it's it feels very patriarchal because in those heterosexual relationships it's not having a problem with having heterosexual sex. That's not the problem for me. The problem is that in that heterosexual structure, the man is usually privileged in that because we are in a patriarchal society. That is what I have a problem with. The uplifting of a man and giving him a higher rank because he has a penis? Mm -mm. Mm-mm. 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 (laughs) <laughs> There's so much I can say to that. We're going to leave that alone. <laughs> anyway, I probably am going to listen to this later and be like, you were talking way too much. But I do wonder if a, mon- uh, um, if a monogamous relationship could still allow for the decentering of patriarchy, the... Um, the a more egalitarian approach to relationships valuing all relationships equally and not necessarily saying see this this romantic sexual relation is primary i'm gonna tell you one more thing that i never really understood that now solo polyamory is really helping me to frame i always said you're gonna put a lot on a relationship i said this about four or five years ago i said Man, you get in a romantic relationship, they've got to be a good friend of you. You got to be a good partner. You got to be able to do finances together. You you got to be able to do have good sex. You got to have uh, you got to have good communication. You got to have you finances together. You got to parent together. That is a lot for you to be on par with one person. That is a lot, right? Do you understand? That's like a superhuman. That somebody's going to come into your life, man, and you guys are going to be on, you're going to be sexually compatible and it's going to be good sex. See, I'm, I'm comfortable saying that. <laughs> good sex, right? That's number one. The number, the other two is 
great communication, right? And all those sexist communication, you understand, I'm talking about verbal communication. Emotional intelligence. Good with finances. Good. And then when you merge finances, boy, do you have to have emotional intelligence. But boy, do you have to have communication skills. And then parental parental values that you share. And then we each bring into relationship our childhood stuff. That's a lot for one relationship. We don't do our friends like that. We do friends where we say, well, I have this friends for shopping. I have this friends for bookstores. I have this friends for dancing. And we allow for the diversity of friendships. But we then in this mono, mono, um, monogamous culture says, I'm going to find that one person who's going to do all things for me. That is in, that's ridiculous. And so I don't, I don't, that doesn't, I don't subscribe to that. That does not make sense to me at all, at all, not at all. And so, man, how much time has been wasted, you know? Now, in, 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 okay, I gotta, gotta, gotta go. Anyway, we gotta go. Let me read this article so I can close. Because, you guys, this is the start of something new. Like, I'm starting, I'm gonna start. It's like how I discovered myself through the INTJ. You guys remember when I started talking about the Enneagram, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much for me to learn. There's some new things for me to learn through the Enneagram. I feel like this is what the solo poly is about to do for me. It's about to bring a whole new level of discovery. There's no way to put that in one episode. So just be prepared for me to be on repeat when I come back for season seven. Wow, that feels weird, season seven. But let me finish reading. Um, the implications of being, um, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. The implications of being single. I'm reading you guys. Let's first look at the generic definition of the word single. According to Webster's dictionary online, it means a person or thing rather than part of a pair or a group. Therefore, to be single implies the following. You would be a hypothetical pair if only you had a partner. Mm -mm, You would be part of a hypothetical pair if only you had a partner. You are missing the other half. Your partner to transition from part... Damn it! I'm struggling. I'm trying to read fast. Let's start over. You are missing the other half. Your partner to transition from part to whole. This is the... I know the sentence is fine. The structure is just... It's for you to read it to yourself and not read it out loud. That's why I think it's messing me up. Let me keep reading. Our society romanticizes single to mean we are on the proverbial quest to find another partner to change our single status. Let me, let me make a comment on that. My good friend, the one I was telling you what her husband, before she found her husband, that, that's, that became the heart of us when we would go out. We would go out and have the same conversations where she wanted to find somebody. And I just didn't have that. Yeah, single, I was single. Yeah, if I wanted to meet somebody, that was fine. But that wasn't the heart of what I wanted to talk about. And I got to the point where I was like, oh my God, I cannot go out and, ha- and have another conversation with her about wanting to find somebody. But I, and I just didn't have an understanding of why I was feeling that way. Yes, I wanted to date. Yes, I wanted to be in a relationship. But there were other things I wanted equally. 
And it was like consuming. But that's his point. That's what it means to be single, that you're on a quest to find your mate or you're, you're, or you're incomplete. There's some, oh my God, mm-mm, mm-mm. I'm going to keep reading. Single is a derogatory personal status. If someone is single, the accompanying question is, why don't they have a partner? Maybe I'll try to match them up with my child, grandchild, niece or nephew. It sucks that they're alone. Whiny singles, uh, whiny singles out that they are sometimes called Valentine's Day Single Awareness Day instead of instead a day to remind them of their depressing fate. I don't know what that whiny single statement is about, but the whole point about it being the single status is derogatory. It's impl- it implies that it's you're incomplete. I have my coworker who needs to. You need to find somebody, but do I? And and then one of my the people I super, super they're like, why don't you talk about your relationships? That is not my identity. And even when I was in a ten year relationship, it burned my bottom. It burned me. It just really frustrated me. Number one, I would go out there like, oh, where's your other half? You mean I can't, you and I can't hang out? That from now, I used to hang out with you one-on-one. Now I have to hang out with you and my other half. That we are one, I guess that's what it means to be a union, a unit. I don't want to be a unit. I want to be an individual. I want to be an individual in love. I don't have to have it, but you know what I mean? I think being a u- individual in love is different from being an individual, being a unit. I don't want to be a unit. I don't want to be a unit. No, I don't. Mm-mm. And so the idea of single is that you are missing the other half of your unit. Oh my gosh. I'm going to keep reading from single and searching to self-partnered. Emma Watson turned 30 and eight. Um, forget that. Oh, okay. Emma Watson turned 30 in April 2020 and interviews started asking her if she was happy with her life. What are her dreams? Did, she, did her, did her life feel incomplete because she isn't married with a family and children by now? And this is what Emma Watson responded. Why does everyone make such a big fuss about run, turning 30? This is not a big deal. Cut to 29 and I'm like, oh my God, I feel so stressed and anxious. And I realize it's because that it, there is suddenly this bloody influx of subliminal messaging around. If you have not built a home, if you do not have a husband, if you do not have a baby and you're turning 30 and you're not in some incredibly secure, stable place in your career, or if you're still figuring things out, I never believe this whole I'm happy single spiel. It took, um, it took me a long time, but I'm very happy being single. I call it being self-partnered. Now, this is a, the way I read that was messy. I'm not going to reread it, but I think this is her giving a quote to an interview. But basically there are all of these scripts and these narratives and this subtext. This is where you should be in your life. All right. I'm going to keep reading. Self-partner means an individual isn't single and searching for the one to change their status from single to taken. Self-partner means a person is committed to being alone. A self self-partner Individual takes time to put their needs, desires, dreams, art, health, and priorities first. Being self-partners means I am happy. So I like this idea of self-partner, but I don't like the idea of being alone. That's the only thing in that statement. I'm like, you don't have to be alone. That's not me. Even though I'm an INTJ, I don't desire to be alone. I just desire to be independent and self-reliant and help my own identity. (laughs) I'm going to keep reading, you guys. 
This is what this person who said that she's self uh, partner. She's reading. She's saying, I like living alone and I'm complete by myself. I'm in control of my environment and my time. And I, I'm going to comment here. I like being in control of my environment and my time. My ex hated when I would go out and that individual would say, well, where are you going? When time you come back? I hated that. And it was a source of an argument. Like that's a normal thing to tell your partner where you're going and when you're coming back. Oh, I don't want to have to tell you. No, I don't. I, cause it takes away my independence and my autonomy. I'm going to keep reading. This is what this lady is saying. I never want to change my life. This is how I am whole. Being self-partnered carries a positive connotation, whereas being single is a negative status. Many people strive to change. I'm committed to my job, acting in various forms of theater, writing, dance, and other numerous act artistic inclinations. I also have my fuzzy family, including my cats, Gizmo, Jasmine, and whatever. I'm not just going to keep reading all of her animals. I have my two dogs. I'm making a comment. I have my two dogs and they are my family and it's okay. <laughs> right. And we, we are very much a family. Um, and I, you, I don't think you would have understood that have, I don't think I would have felt that having just one pet, but having two pets and seeing how they respond to each other and how they respond to me, it's a, it, we are together <laughs> and that's an, and that family should be respected. There was a friend that I was building a year ago and she kept disregarding my pets and, and degrading them. We're not friends. We're not friends. That's not the primary reason, but I did tell her, I said, when you come over my house, they're going to be respected. This is their home. And then she was like, well, maybe then you should come to my house. Maybe we should, we should just not be friends. How about that? <laughs> All right, you guys, I'm, I'm going to read the anatomy of solo polyamory and then I'm going to close. Lastly, there's a solo, there's solo polyamory. Solo polyamory, solo polyamorous individuals are motivated by autonomy. They value their independence and identify primarily as individuals not identified by quantity of late relationships. So it doesn't mean I'm not, yeah, I'm, my identity isn't about the number of relationships I have. It's about my autonomy, my independence. Um, I'm going to keep reading. Solo polyamorous people may have multiple romantic relationships, but they don't entangle their physical residential arrangements and life obligations around a live-in partner. In polyamory, Solo poly people are often their own primary partners. So I could live with somebody. I, I don't think, I don't think I couldn't live with, but we would have to have a real clear arrangement. Now, I want to be honest, in my 10 year relationship, we spent 75% of that time having separate bedrooms. And at first it was an act of defiance. It was, I don't want to get into that now. It was like some, it was like, it was around like, fighting well and then it got to a place where it was an act of comfort and honestly I remember we would go out we would go out to movies and they were like okay whose room are we staying the night in it was kind of it was kind of cool that part I really like um I don't think I don't know I don't know I remember my first 10-year relationship after we broke up, it was really hard for me to sleep alone so I think you I can go very comfortable with having somebody in the bed with me, but, but my two dogs are fine. <laughs> so I don't really know about if I'm a, if I'm a person that says I don't need to be in a house residentially connected with another person. I don't know if that's, I don't know. Um, 
I'm going to keep reading. However, the difference between solo and self-partnered is a solo poly person could live alone, but spend time frequently out of the house with a multitude of different partners. A solo polyamorous person committed to a self-partnership spends a great deal of time alone, regardless of the number of partner, partners, friends, and activities. Self-partnered people like being alone. And the most important partner we have is ourselves. We do not see the single or our solo existence as an adverse, adverse fate. Um, I don't have time to finish reading the whole article. There's so much more here. I'm about 60% done with the article. I think what, and I'm just going to close my computer and start closing the reflection. I think the, the point is that for me, cause I want to connect it to this lifestyle and relationship. As I think about the second half of life, I want to embrace the fact that there are multiple, multiple models for doing relationships, having a, a relational lifestyle, a lifestyle where you have relationships. So if our lifestyles aren't going to be just about work and they're also going to be about relationships, um, I spend a bulk of my time, excuse me, I spend a bulk of my relationship energy on family. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, it's an interesting thing, like what came first, the chicken or the egg? Do I spend the bulk of my time thinking about my family relationships? Do I think, let me say it differently. Do I spend the bulk of my relationship time in family relationships because I just simply value that family? Or do I do it because I was primed to privilege or prioritize family. I don't, I don't have the answer to that, but I am going to process it because my familial relationships, I prioritize them. Even when I got into both of, I had two 10 year relations, both of those 10 year relationships, I brought them into my family. And interestingly enough, that second 10 year relationship, I didn't want to. And then I, well, I, I, I was trying to move away from my family. And then I found myself merging that person in my family. And I think, I don't know. I come from a very strong family. Uh, I don't, I don't want to vilify my values for family, but I am at a place in the last week or so where I've been thinking about that could be part of the problem that I'm having. It's just, I'm centering the family too much. Um, something just came up for me as a contradiction. Because in high school, I started realizing that I had, something was off with my relationship with my family. And I don't want to, I don't make this, I don't want to make this a family relationship episode, but, and I started making my friend groups be my primary, they were my primary part relationships. And that would work until those friends started getting into romantic relationships. And then they didn't value our friendship. So then I became secondary to those friends. And that was problematic for me. And and I, I say to my, I don't say it now, but I would say to people, I could have been married twice if I really wanted, if I valued a romantic, if not, I, I don't devalue romance. I don't want to send the impression that I devalue it. What I don't do is prioritize it. 
Romance is not a priority over other things that I value. Had I valued, had I prioritized romance, I would have been married at least twice. I could think about four, four situations I could have pursued, but it just wasn't that big of a deal for me. And so I needed to have other friends who held those values. I didn't know because I didn't know it was okay. Like the, I was, it was like, I knew I was different, but I just accepted that I was just odd. Something was wrong with me because I wasn't treating romance and like everybody else was. And so just reading about solo poly is not about the sex. It's not up for me. It's not about having multiple sex partners. It really isn't that. I promise you it's not that one. Like I think there's a part of me that wish it were about that, right? Um, um, I don't think my sister would mind me saying this, but I'm like, I'm like, you stole my sex, sexual energy. Like when we were being produced in the womb, you took all the sexual energy from me. <laughs> um, so I really wish that was my problem. So that's not it. And it's also not because I want to live alone, but I want to maintain autonomy. I want to be able to control my environment. I want to have a sense of self. I want to have a sense of identity. And I want those things to be preserved. And, and one more thing, I want to have different types of relationships that are all important to me. And I'm important to them, right? I want to have friendships that value their relationship with me and not that, and, and, and just like they do in polyamory and they learn how to manage multiple relationships and they communicate. I want to be able to be a part of that type of commitment where we're, we're looking through and we're managing multiple, we're respecting, we're managing multiple commitments. And I, maybe that's why I studied polyamory for all those years. Because underneath there, the, the solo part of me was resonating with all of the virtues and the, the tenets of polyamory for, for different reasons. You guys, I got to bring closure to this. It was a long episode. I am not done. I can, I can hit the stop button and, and record again, but I want to do the final episode on something else. But I'm going to come back to this, this idea of solo poly, amor, uh, solo poly or, solo polyamorous living because I think it is about that other leg on my stool, my lifestyle stool. So the the work I talked about, I think this relationship piece is a really big deal for me. It is, it, it puts so many things into perspective for me um, that's different and that it's okay. It normalizes my difference. I'm different and I'm not odd. Like other people may see me as odd, that's fine. But I don't need to see myself as odd. This is normal. It's normal to want to maintain my autonomy. It's normal to want to have multiple relationships that are of equal value to me and me to them. That's normal, right? And so I'm really, really excited about beginning this journey in the second half of life and being able to do this with in this project with you, you guys. If this reflection is at any value for you, please give it a heart. If my conversation about polyamory, about sex, about relationships, um, 
about singlehood, about patriarchy, if any of this relates to a conversation you've had in the world, please take this link and share it with those participants. If my moving about in this reflect, uh, reflection has caused some randomness in you, I would love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yourandidom.wordpress.com, on Twitter, yourandidom1, Facebook, and YouTube, yourandidom. Let me give you your assignment. I'm going to keep this real simple. I'm running out of time, so I'm going to keep this real simple. What is your relationship map? Like, and I really want to say, like, what are your relationship values? What are your relationship values? What are your relationship schemas? And how does that fit together as one whole approach to having relationships in your life? Do you have a hierarchy? And that's one of the things that I didn't get a chance to talk about. In monogamy, there is this relationship escalator. You advance and you go up. You never go back. You never can negotiate backwards. And you're always in progression in this very linear way. What is your relationship progression and your relationship to other people? And how do you value that? How do you value those different relationships? Are they on a hierarchy? Are those relationships on a linear path course? Like, what is your relationship orientation? I want to come back and talk about attachments, attachment style theory, and connected to this. But just, just there's so much to unpack here. So hopefully that assignment, what is your relationship map? Uh, hopefully that'll get us started because I will definitely be back to talk about this more. You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye. <laughs>